Well, it is good to be together again. Uh, we had a refreshing time away as a family. It was greatly encouraging to hear Tom Wendell uh, share about God's kindness and the nature of it, the character of it, and the way it shapes us. We were greatly encouraged in that. And today we're going to now start a new series uh, this fall. Uh, for the next 11 weeks, counting today, we're going to be looking at the significance of the church. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to the passage we're going to be looking at, uh, to, you can turn to First Timothy Chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. As you're turning there, I just wanted to encourage you that Jesus thinks very highly of the church. We might have a variety of experiences in the life of a church or with church, but, but Jesus thinks highly of the church. Jesus once famously said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus cares about the church. There is a great purpose for the church. And Jesus will see that purpose all the way through. And nothing will stop Jesus' purposes for the church. Not the gates of hell. Not even the imperfect church that Jesus is working in and through. There are certainly many things that confer upon the church significance. And scripture makes that clear despite all the earthly flaws of the church. This fall, we will consider the significance of the church by looking at portions of what is called the pastoral letters. That is, the letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus. As we keep in mind that Jesus is building his church, we'll see what kind of church. We'll see the significance and the structure and the character of the church that Jesus is building. And as we do, I hope that we all are encouraged and equipped here at Trinity Baptist Church to embrace all that it means to be the church. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed... You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word and as we take in uh, this fall, this, what your word says about the significance of the church, we pray that we would indeed be greatly encouraged and equipped as a church family to live out what it is that you would have for us. So would you unite and strengthen our hearts together as we come to your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. My hope and my aim in this series is that we would embrace the significance of the church. Like if you just wanted to, one thing to come away with while we talk about the significance of the church and the structure of the church and the character of the church, my, my hope, prayerful hope, is that we would all come away embracing the significance of the church. To do that this morning, I want us to see that when we embrace the significance of the church, we're embracing what Jesus sees at the, as the church, what God looks at at the church. And here we need to see 
the church as first the family of God. That the church is the family of God. Secondly, I want us to see that the church is the dwelling of God. The dwelling of God. And then thirdly, that the church is the building of God. That we'd see these things and therefore be compelled all the more to embrace it. Imperfect as it may be on this side of glory. But embrace it nonetheless. This is God's purpose. This is his picture. This is how he sees the church. So may we see it similarly. First, let's consider the church as the family of God. The church as the family of God. We'll focus our attention on verse 13, Excuse me, verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. There are three things that are said here of the church in this passage. And the first conveys to us the idea that the church is the family of God. Look again at verse 15. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. In God's household. Now, when we say the word church, there might be a couple of thoughts that come into mind. Uh, when you think of the word church. One, and they're both correct. They're both accurate. One is that you think of the church, and for lack of a better word, the church universal. That is, all of God's people, from all of time, and from all places. It refers to the all of the redeemed people of God from everywhere ever. So when you think of the church, you think of this big, huge, like, mass of redeemed people. When we think of it in that way, we think of it accurately. That's true. That is true. That's the church. Uh, But we won't know the totality of it or the scope of it until we see it in glory. That is, when Christ returns and establishes forever kingdom. That's when we'll see the scope of it. We belong to it, but we won't see its scope until a future date. Another word, another idea that comes to mind when we think of church, not so much in the universal, but is in, is in the locality, the local, the tangible, the practical. What you're gathering with together today, Trinity Baptist Church, is an expression of the church, the local church. So you have the church universal, all of God's people from everywhere of all time and all places. And then you have the church local. And the church local is a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. The tangible evidence, if you will, of the redeeming grace of God is the lives of sinners saved by grace that are banded and gathered together in time and place. There's like skin and bone in the game, if you will. Here we are, physically here. And you know what? Much of the New Testament is speaking to the tangible expression of the church, the local church. It speaks tangibly and practically to the significance and the structure and character of the local church. We do get glimpses in Scripture of the church universal, but so much of the New Testament is speaking to the church local. And Paul's exhortation, that is his call to, to live in a certain way, is focused on the how, uh, is on the, on the local church, how the local church is to conduct itself. That is, how the local church is to live out being the church. And the first thing that we see here in this picture is that the church is to see itself as the 
family of God. It is the family home, if you will. First thing that was said about the local church is that it is the household of God. The word for household has two prevailing meanings or nuances. When the word is used to refer to people, we get the idea of family because it can refer to people. The New Testament is filled with all sorts of familial language describing the church. You'll read through the New Testament even and see that oftentimes brothers and sisters are referred to. Brothers and sisters of the faith, brothers and sisters in the household of God, the family of God. So when the word is used in relation to people, the idea of family comes to mind. And well, you know what? Jesus had that view of the church also as family. He described the redeemed people of God as family. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, we see Jesus describe it in this way. While he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He looked upon his people, his redeemed people, his followers, and said that they are family family. So that's one way in which the word for household, when it's referring to people, gives us the idea of family. Sometimes that word gets referred to a place. And so it's not just simply a people, but a place. And that place is associated with a house. Or when you combine the idea of people and place, you get the idea of a home. It is home. Family is a people in a place called home. God looks upon the church and sees a family, a people in a place called home. This means what we experience together in the church, albeit imperfect, it's giving us a taste of what we will know in full measure without the, the stain and pain of sin. We'll know this family, in full measure, forever. What could be more significant than this? That God rescues wayward sinners and brings them home as family. So when God looks at the church, that's what he sees. Rescued, wayward, broken, lost people that he gathered up And brought home as family. So when we think about the church. We think of it in that way. Do we think of it in the way that God sees it? Do we think of it with such language? Certainly our struggles. And experiences this side of glory. Can be hard and even harsh at times. But let us not let that diminish or tarnish the significance that Jesus has placed on the church. The significance by which God looks at the church. As a family in a place called home. Secondly, we find that the church, from our verse here, is the church as the dwelling of God. Taking that idea of 
family and home and driving it further. Look again at verse 15 at the next highlighted point. So if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the church of the living God. The second thing we see about the local church, about our church, about Trinity Baptist Church, is that it is the place where God dwells presently with his people. Now, next week we're actually going to stay in this passage, but we're going to drill down further on that word for church more intently next week. For our purposes this morning, though, note the description of the church. It's the church of the living God. This means the active presence of God in the midst of his people. The active presence of God in the midst of his people. So when we take the imagery of home and the description of living, it leads us to see that the church is the dwelling place of God. And this is picking up some significant pictures that are found in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, place and God's dwelling were often associated together. It was a a promise that they were anticipating. It was something that they beheld in some measure in the tabernacle that was set up in the wilderness, in the wandering people uh, outside of the Exodus and before they got into the promised land. When they got into the promised land and they finally became a nation unto themselves, they built a temple, and there we see again a place in which God was dwelling with his people. When that temple was completed, it was completed by King Solomon, who was the son of King David. King David's story is, is um, very uh, overwhelmingly layered, and by the end of his life, there was a nation. How about that for a gloss? How about that for a flyover of a lot of Old Testament um, and, and some difficulties and some hardships and some incredible experiences? But at the end of his life, he, knew, he learned that his son, Solomon, would build the temple. And when te- Solomon built that temple, they dedicated it. And it was such an overwhelming moment that the presence of God was with the people that 1 Kings 8.11 states it this way. The priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, the cloud representing God's presence. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So there in the Old Testament, we're getting a picture of what God would one day fulfill in great measure. That his presence would be with his people. That he would be actively present, living with his people. Psalm 27 verse 4, that might be highlighted in your Bible or starred or ticked or whatever it is that you do underlined. Psalm 27 4 says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. That the intentions of God is to dwell with his rescued, redeemed people that he brings home as family. Actively, presently, in the midst of his people. In the New Testament, we see this imagery applied to us, to the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What a profound privilege. What incredible significance is given to the church. Yeah, the local church. What a joy and privilege it is that we get 
to gather regularly together and to share in together the living and active and present presence of God with us. Seems like a far cry from a rote religious checklist that we just hit up and then go about our week as if we didn't just gather together the God of the universe. When we gather, God is with us. That's significant. You believe that when you come to Trinity Baptist Church, you're gathering with family at home with the presence of God. Yes, God is with you individually, personally, and presently. But when we gather together, God is also with us personally and presently with all of us corporately. The local church gathered experiences the dwelling presence of God together in what we call the means of grace. God is graciously and presently at work in us this very second, this moment, this time. The preaching of God's word, the praises and prayers and community of God's people, the Lord's table and baptism, all of those things we do week in and week out with, or with great regularity, it is family doing family things at home with God. That is significant. There's a lot of things in your life and in your heart and in this world and in this culture that want to detract or distract us from that significance. That doesn't mean that every song is going to be epic and every sermon is going to be amazing. But it does mean we're family gathering, doing family things with God, presently with us. And that means even if we miss a note, even if I flub a sermon, even in the midst of all of that, we're doing something with God together. You think that. Does that come across your mind and your heart when you're chasing your kids out the house? We're trying to be Christian on the drive to church. <laughs> your laughter means you know what I was getting at. <laughs> you think about that when you come and you see each other. And you know what's going on in each other's lives, or to, to some varying degree. And you know things are hard. You may look over and see someone in a very hard season. But there they are, and they're singing. There they are, and they're receiving the word. There they are, and they're praying. Something is happening. And God is with us. And we're family doing family things at home with God. It's significant. Nothing like this in your week. Nothing that even comes close to this. And for those, if you're with us and this is all very new for you, I'm so glad that you're here. And it might be weird and that's okay. It is a little bit. But then, then your heart will start to rest and to settle. And then you'll start to experience God at work in you. And you will start to experience the care of brothers and sisters in the faith. Something is happening when we gather. It is God with us. Now, warning to those who've called church home for a long time. Called this specific local church home for a long time. Neglecting this or replacing it with other things. 
makes it more difficult for a local church to be family. And neglecting or replacing it wearies your own heart from the grace received when we gather together. It makes it harder to be family and it's harder on your own heart when this is not a regular rhythm in your life. God's intentions is so that we would meet together around the word, around song, around prayer, around table, around water, around each other to do family things at home with God. So hear the significance of this. Feel it. Feel the significance of this. It is important to God and I pray that it's increasingly important to us. Third thing that we find in our passage is that the church as the building of God. The building of God. The last phrase is uh, highlighted here. And so he says, if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. There's important architecture and structure that we find here describing the church as the building of God. It's a building project. The church is a building project. Here we see pillar and foundation. The word for pillar refers to a supporting structure or a standing free structure. Whether it's a supporting structure or a standing free structure, both convey that something is being held up or held out. They're holding up and holding out something, whether by function or by beauty or by both, something is being held up and held out. When applied to a person, this word for pillar can be applied to a person. It means that that person, when you would say that of a person, in, the, in Paul's day, it means that you're saying that person is reliable, that you can count on that person. The idea is that you can count on the pillar to hold out and to hold up something important, significant, and beautiful. There's both function and art, structure and beauty associated with this word. So the church is holding out something of immense importance. And incredible beauty. Then we see foundation. The foundation refers to the support or to a buttress or to a sure ground. It means something is seated or settled. It's steadfast. It's solid. When we find the comparable word used in the Old Testament, it refers to something permanent. When we see it in the New Testament, we see it conveyed to the idea of something that is steadfast. Especially applied to God's people. The call to be steadfast be solid, to be steady, to be settled. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, we find it there. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. That is, be foundation. Be seated and settled and steadfast and solid, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy is stationed in Ephesus. He's there ministering and leading the church and churches. And he's there with the task of appointing elders, of training up and, and, and handing these churches over to their own pastors and elders that will take them on. That's his job. And so he's in Ephesus. And, and where Timothy is serving, Ephesus, it was a community that was exploding in growth in Paul's day. It was booming in growth. There were building projects everywhere. Some of the most incredible structures both in terms of scope for that era, but also in terms of beauty. 
So it was a very relevant description that Paul gave to Timothy. He could look out his window, if you will, and see a, an example of, of what beautiful structure can look like. Yet, by applying that to the church, Paul's emphasizing that God was building something even more incredible through the local church. The building project of God is displaying his, his design. It is both going to be functional and structural, but also beautiful and incredible. And what is it called? Well, as we saw at the end of verse 15, it is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Of the truth. It's the church is holding up and holding out the truth. Truth is a word that gets battered about by the tides of culture and whatever and wherever that culture may be. Today, truth is a little bit relative as long as it's not offensive to the ever-changing metric of acceptance. If that felt elusive, that's the point. In our culture, truth is elusive, it's ambiguous, it's relative. That doesn't sound like something that would be something you could rely on. It doesn't sound like a description of something you would call solid, that you could build on. Instead, the truth, who God's intentions, is to be concrete, it's to be clear, it's to be com- compelling through the local church. The truth that the local church has as a foundation and then holds up and holds out is this. It's the truth about who God is and what God is like. It's the truth about what God says and what God does. It's the truth about who God is and what God is like. How do we know? Well, we know it through his word. We know it through the culmination of the gospel. What is God like? We look to Jesus, who fulfills all of God's word. We hold up and we hold out the truth of who God is and what he is like. We build our lives, our church, on the truth of who God is and what God is like. We also build it, we hold up and hold out what God says and what God does that is all culminated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hold that up and we hold that out. We base our church on these things. We root ourselves on these things. We want to be God-centered in our content and in our aim. We want our function and our structure to convey the worth of God. But we also want our lives, our redeemed lives, our rescued, messy lives to be Pictures of the beautiful, overwhelming grace of our God. So it's not as if we're holding up and holding out truth to win arguments and debates. We're holding up and holding out the truth of who God is and what he is like to win hearts and lives. To see the beauty of God and his grace. So we make much of God like a pillar And we want to base our values on God like a foundation. So how do we do that? What does the church do with this truth? Well, we build on the foundation of the truth and we hold up and hold out the truth. 
That means we look at the local look at the local church as a building project, where God is fitting the local church to His design. And we know that the church has the stability to display the truth of God and to do it beautifully. How can we do that together? Well, first, we want to be a pillar and foundation through worship, through our corporate gathered time of worship, where we come together, together to proclaim the greatness and grace of God. What we come together is to remind and to rehearse and to announce that, that God is worthy and God is worth it. That we remind each other and rehearse to each other, God is worthy and God is worth it. And we share with others who are, who are here with us, who may be new to us, new to church. It's really hard to be new to a church, by the way. For those who, are, who have called Trinity this local church home for a long time, it's hard to be new at a church. And so one of the ways that we can do that well is to help people be new at church. To help them come in and feel and, and receive and come to better grasp the worthiness and the worthiness of God. We do that through corporate worship. We can do that in community. We do that in community. We pillar and foundation as a local church in community in that we are encouraging and equipping one another to live in line, of, to live in line with the truth of who God is and what God is like, what God says and what God does. That we're encouraging each other. That that's worth it. Let's live our lives following this. And we're equipping each other to do that. To live that. It means great intentionality and proximity. That we do this on purpose together. In each other's lives. And that as new people gather and get connected to ours. We make it easy for them to know the ways in which they can feel connected here. We do that in community. And then thirdly, we do it on mission. And we engage the world around with the good news of the truth. There will be many who will reject it, who will look at the architecture of the church and reject it and think this is dated and ugly and awful and old and smells funny. And they don't want anything to do with it. And there will be others along the way who will look at the architecture of the church and think this is incredible and life-giving. And I so want the, the architect to be in my life. We don't know how that will go. Our basis is not on the response. Our basis is to be faithful with what it is that we hold up and hold out. So let us be intentional. Let's be intentional to be the church that Jesus is building. And Jesus is building it. That's where our passage actually ends with this final encouragement. The encouragement to... To learn how to be family, to learn how to be the dwelling place of God, to learn how to, to function within the building of God. The final source of encouragement for such a thing is found in verse 16. And guess what? It's your Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs. Where all this comes from? That's what he's saying. Where is this all going to come from? How's this going to happen? Paul knows it's hard being the church. It's a struggle. There are difficulties and challenges and distractions. So how, where's our hope? Where's it going to spring from? The hope that our lives would be changed and grow and strengthen and more people would come to know the king. Where does that hope come from? It springs from Jesus. 
he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The motivation and means to embrace the significance of church is found in the architect. The passage ends with Jesus, our hope, our means, our aim, our cornerstone. Who he is and what he did is the lifeblood of the local church. You and I who look to Jesus through faith, we are family. We're family with a home where we dwell with God, having the stability and security to live it out in this world. Why do we have such stability and security? Why do we have such hope? Because Jesus took on our humanity as his own, paying a debt we could never afford. Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit as he rose up from the grave. All was paid in full. Jesus is the heart of the good news proclaimed everywhere, believed, shared. Jesus will one day return and make all things right and all things new. What sort of spring do we have for hope to be the local church? We have an eternal spring. Because that spring is Jesus. And so, the challenge then for the local church, for Trinity Baptist Church, is that the local church clings to its significance as tightly as it clings to Jesus in what it believes and how it lives out what it believes. So if we want to be good family, want to enjoy the dwelling presence of God. We want to understand the building project that God is unfolding. The more we cling so tightly to Jesus, the more we cling to the significance of the church, of the local church, of Trinity Baptist Church, with all its normal, ordinary flaws and weaknesses and everything in between. It is yet significant. Because God looks so favorably on his people. The local church is significant. Sure, there will be wear and tear over the life of a church. Renovations will be needed along the way. Make no mistake. God thinks highly of the local church. He thinks highly of Trinity Baptist Church. He calls it family. And he makes it his home. And from such significance, you and I, we can gain stability for our faith and soar to the heights of purpose and meaning as we put on the display of who God is and what he is like. So may we embrace the local church with our lives, to the glory of God, to the good of family, to the redemption of those who are far from God. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that it would find a home in our hearts. That it would bring about great transformation in the way we see ourselves as the church and live it out together as family. Would you help us as we go forward in this series to embrace the significance of this, the church. Your home, your body, your dwelling, your building, all to your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we finish our morning together in celebration of God's mercy, his steadfast love, 
and his faithfulness to us. Let's worship.
Well, I hope that you are encouraged in the, in the week ahead, that uh, you have a family, that you have a place, you get to dwell with God and be encouraged and equipped to follow after him. There's a good chance that Second Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote. And his last words will be our words, our last words of the service, our benediction during this series. Simple words toward the end of a life of someone who poured his whole life out into ministry. Simple, but deeply profound. And so go with these words. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all.